Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Happy Monday, mates. The beginning of your week. And let me be the coal fueling your fire to blitz through your Monday blues. Some people like their coffee. Some people like their chai lattes. For me, it's going to be my lovely Earl Grey. Nothing quite like listening to kookaburras laughing, the rain pouring, a cup of Earl Grey in your hands whilst editing old-time radio episodes. Definitely a solid combo. Today I'm enjoying a French Earl Grey, which is a little more floral than I'm used to. I really prefer my teas rich in bergamot. That smell is super common and relaxing. If you've ever had a chance to smell straight up bergamot oil, you'll know what I mean. Give it a shot. Now, my awesome listeners, enough of the tea. Let's jump into your two remastered episodes. First up is a shilling. Joey Bart finally gets out of prison to talk to his brother to reclaim part of his dues that he's been waiting to have sent his way. And that due is a nightclub. And when they find his brother murdered, all they find at the scene of the crime is a shilling. Well, that's one step closer to the end for whoever did it. Your second tale is The Canvas Bag. A woman thinks she's in love, and I mean, to her, she is. But her man, well, he is a wolf in sheep's clothing, using her and tossing her aside. Now the police are on his case. Will they catch him? These episodes were interesting to edit, mates. The first story was like pulling up gems from the middle of a mud field. So if you can imagine, it took a long time, but the haul was totally worth it. I did as much as I could with the first to make sure that it was audible. And the second tale? Well, that had unusual audio skips and blips, which I really had to knuckle down on. You might hear them here and there, but I definitely did my best to cut them out. Again, totally worth it. Now, mates, turn the sound up, get comfy, and let's listen to an old-time radio episode from the past, right from the Black Museum vault. Enjoy. This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. Black Museum. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of homicide, where everyday objects, a flower pot, a coffee cup, a curtain rod, all are touched by murder. Here's a shilling. This is a familiar object, a shilling, the coin of the realm. So much silver alloyed with harder metals for purposes of wear milled edge, engraved with the face of a British sovereign. Very familiar object indeed. The lucky piece, all right, Inspector. Lucky for you, Bob. That's just what I mean, sir. Shillings don't buy much these days. But this one bought plenty. Now, the Black Museum starring... Orson Wells. Okay, we are in the Black Museum, Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Here's a small radio. Made for entertainment, for obtaining all the sounds that reach out through the ether to your ear. Think for joy, for pleasure, but note the little wires protruding here, connected to the switch that turned this little sound box on. A man turned that knob, as was his habit. A little extra wires conducted current to an explosive. The man died. Later, he was followed to death by his murderer. All right, here we are. Here's the shilling. Subject of our story. Some tarnished still, gleaming silver. Without a doubt, it passed through many hands, reposed in pockets and purses. And then one day, a telephone rings. 
So many things are heralded by that sound. This one rings in an office in the yard. Two men interrupt a desultory conversation. One of them picks up the instrument. Inspector Graves, office. For you, Inspector. Thank you, Sergeant. The inspector listens briefly, acknowledges the message, hangs up the telephone. Well, well, well. Trouble, sir? Not yet. Just an interesting bit of information. Remember Jerry Bart? Dartmoor, isn't he? Not after tonight. Oh, is it that long since we sent him away? Time off for good behavior. He gets out in the morning. Mm. Wonder if Baba Davy knows. Uh, that same idea crossed my mind. How do you suppose it feels, Sergeant? They know your brother is getting out. And you've taken over his business, bar, band, and bottle club. And your brother believes you framed him into Dartmoor. There's a word for it, sir. Uncomfortable. That, of course, is an understatement, particularly when it's well known both to the underworld of London and to the police that Brother Joey has sworn to get Brother Davy as soon as such action is possible. Now, obviously, no self-respecting police force appreciates murder. Follows then that certain precautions must be taken. Sergeant, will you arrange for a 24-hour detail to stay with Brother Joey from the moment he leaves the hospitality of Dartmoor tomorrow? Yes, sir. And advise the station house, which covers Brother Davy's rather disreputable club, the Davy is expecting company. Yes, sir. I'd rather like to be there, you know, when Joey tells his brother he wants the club back and his share of the earnings of these past six years. Yes, it must have been quite a meeting. Took place, of course. No question about that. In fact, no attempt was made to prevent it. The police knew when it happened. They knew exactly when Joey Bart walked past the uniformed doorman into the nightclub in question. They so reported to Inspector Graves. It was some 45 minutes later that his telephone rang once more. Inspector Graves, Roberts. Detective Smythe here. Is the inspector available? Just a moment. Smythe, Inspector. He's on the Bart matter. I'll take it. Yes, Smythe? I'm in Davy Bart's office at the club, Inspector. He's dead. Where's Jerry? Gone, sir. We saw him go in. We didn't see him get out. No, a self-respecting police force does not appreciate murder. When the murder is committed while policemen are on watch outside the scene of the crime, it is appreciated even less, if possible. Therefore, action is required. General alarm for Jerry Bart. Description is available. Yes, sir. Close that club and hold the customers and staff until I get there. Let's go, Sergeant. All the resources of a great police department spring to life. And soon the inspector and Sergeant Maxwell are at the scene. Viewing the body of Davy Bart through the hole in his chest. Yes, that's Bart, all right. All right, Smythe. Let's have it. Well, that's just the way we found him. First, sprawled like that. Gun near him. Nothing's been touched except to check for fingerprints. Picture's been taken? Yes, sir. Coroner been here? Yes, sir. All right, take him away. Sergeant. Very good, sir. Prints on the gun. Only the dead man. Just the one set. There he is. Medical report? Shot at close range. Powder burns. It's a .38 automatic. I can see that. Anything else? Well, there's a war safe. It was searched. What's this? It's a shilling, sir. What's it doing here? It was lying there on the desk when we got in, sir. The lights were on and it was shining in the lamp. Quite clear, wasn't it? A killing. An ex-convict disappeared, open and shot, simple. Still, the evidence must be collected with a view toward the eventual trial. You're George Lyon. Yes, sir? You have a record. Well, I went away once. Three months. Attempted robbery. Since then? I worked for Mr. Bart. Doing what? Oh, thought of his uh, assistant. Yes, I know what you mean. All right. What happened here tonight? Well, Joey came here, and the boss told me to let him in. Joey told the boss he needed money. The boss said he didn't have any. They started to argue. That was when the boss told me to wait outside, and I did. Hear anything? Oh, the place is soundproof, Inspector. The nearest thing. Why did you come back inside? Took a chance. Seemed like an awful long time when Joey didn't come out. I found him. The boss, I mean. What do you know about this? Hey, that's the boss's lucky piece. When Joey asked for money, the boss took it out of his pocket and told him it was all the money he had on him. That's when Joey said, I ought to kill you for that. Only your life ain't worth a shilling. Build a case. Interview the employees. First, the doorman. Well, I was uh, kind of surprised, Inspector. 
But Mr. Bart said let Joey in the club when he showed up. Why? Why, everybody knows, sir. Joey thought Mr. Bart framed him to get the club away from him. So you let him in? So I let him in. See him leave? No, sir. He must have gone out the back way, through that door. It leads out to the kitchen and the dressing room. There's a rear exit, sir, out in the alley behind. Now it's the turn of the kitchen help. The man in the best position to notice anything is the second cook. Uh, yes, sir. That's my position, opposite the door. Did you see anyone go by tonight? Uh, only waiters. Uh, and the girl in the show. The girl in the show? Uh, yes, she has a dressing room in the hall. She sings. A name? Miss Fair. Uh, Mitzi Fair. Get the girls out. Yes, sir. You at your station all evening? Uh, the chef, he called me over to taste his dressing. Uh, only once. All the rest of the time, I... Yes, and you must have missed anyone who went through the hall during that time. Well, it was only a minute or two. Yeah, it would be enough. All right, leave a name and address for the constable on duty. The henchman, Lyons, saw and heard nothing. The doorman was too far away. The kitchen help were too busy. Still, everyone seemed to have known that Joy Bart was there that night. Everyone, including the girl in the show. You sing in the floor show, Miss Fair, is that it? Oh, I am the show, you might say. Or was. Yes, was. The club is closed. You'll need another job. Thanks for the two weeks' notice. We can do without that. What do you mean, I am the show? Well, I sing. For the piano. For the band rest. There's no line, no comics. The space is too small. I see. What's your background, Miss Fair? It was the usual shabby story, the early ambitions, the voice that failed to make the big time, the small jobs to make a living, and the eternal hope for the break. Then the steady work in the club. Any particular reason why Dave Bart kept you here so long? If you mean what I think you mean, there was nothing like that. Did you know his brother? Well, I didn't care. Davey talk about him. I came here after Davey took over. Your dressing room is out there, off the hall. <laughs> if you can call a six-by-eight rat trap a dressing room, yes. See any stranger tonight? Not tonight. Other night? Maybe. Maybe not. But if I had, I'd know better than to talk, Inspector. Davey operated within the law, as far as I know. But I've been around, Inspector. And if I knew anything, chances are my life wouldn't be worth that shilling. Never see it before? It's like any other to me. I'm told it was Davy Bart's lucky piece. Was it? Well, I wouldn't know. But me, a shilling's a shilling, and they don't come my way easy. Now, today, the shilling can be found in the Black Museum. In just a moment, we will continue with The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles. Inspector Graves waited in his office at Scotland Yard for the report he knew was inevitable, that Joey Bart had been run to earth. This was routine. Meanwhile, he sifted facts with Sergeant Maxwell. Nothing to it, Inspector. It's Joey. It couldn't be anyone else. Say that in court, and a smart lawyer will prove it could have been any one of a dozen people. Reasonable doubt, that's all. But Joey said he'd get his brother once he got out. That's not evidence, and you know it, Sergeant. There's plenty of evidence. Of the gun, for instance. Davy's gun, registered with only Davy's prints on it. A doorman saw him go in. Lions was there at the beginning of the fight. The open safe. With nothing stolen. At least plenty of money in it, and Joey came for money. He left by the back way. Well, no one saw him. No one saw him go out. They could have missed someone else coming in. Our case is full of holes, Sergeant. Not the kind I want to go into. You see, it's one thing to be certain in your own mind that someone committed murder. It's another thing to prove it in court, where your facts are subject to attack by lawyers, subject to the workings of 12 minds in the jury box, subject to the judge's interpretation of reasonable doubt. The inspector knew this. Ah, the telephone again. Perhaps this time. Graves speaking. Smythe here, Inspector. We found Bart. He's holed up in a tenement in the East End, 409 Allison. One of those places cut up into one-room flatlets. He's in the third floor rear. Set the cordon flies, seal the place. Don't go in until I get there. The quarry run to earth. His hole sealed, front and rear, by the cordon of police. The inspector arrives. All under control, Smiles? Yes, sir. He won't get out the back way this time. Good enough. Let's go in. A small, tight group gathers around the inspector. Smith, Maxwell, several uniformed constables, all are armed. They enter the ramshackle building, start up the rickety stairway. 
Somehow this place escaped the Holocaust of Hitler's bomb. Dull, dirty, dangerous. The landings are illuminated by fitful light from flickering yellow electric bulbs and fixtures that once held gas burners. The third landing, the group stops. Splits up. Each man takes his station one to each side of the doorway. The officer with a gun in position to shoot off the lock on the scaly door. Inspector with Sergeant Maxwell and Detective Smith facing the doorway. There they go. Who is it? You know who it is, Bob. Police, open up. Come in, gentlemen. Come in. Check in on us, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Oh, nothing on him, Inspector. No weapon. Very well. I could have told you that. No guns for me, Inspector. I'm glad you got here first, though. I thought maybe it was some of Davy's boys with the same idea you have. But I didn't kill him. Not much sense killing the goose with the golden eggs, is there, Inspector? They took him to the yard. Held for questioning, the record said. The questioning was sharp and to the point. What did you get from your brother? A hundred pounds to start. That was all? Oh, he argued first, but I got good and sore. Told him his life wasn't worth the shilling he threw at me. We know about that. Yeah, Georgia Lyons was still there. After that, Dave threw him out. Then I told Dave I could prove he'd framed me. He acted like he believed me. Told me I'd be a fool to take the club back after the way he'd built it up. Said he'd cut me in for plenty. He went to the wall safe, took out a hundred quid and gave it to me as a down payment, sort of. <laughs> of course I took it. He took a shilling, too. Told him he'd get his luck back when I figured he was going to be a regular on the payoff. You took his shilling? Yeah, here. That's it. He had it since he was a kid. See that nick in it? He got that putting it on a railroad truck so the train could run over it. <laughs> Sergeant, bring lines from the fair girl down here. Yes, sir. You see anybody in that back hall about? Nobody. Dave said to go out that way, and I did. I wanted a little privacy, you see. Your boys were with me all the way to the club from Dartmoor. You hear anything in that hall? Only the pans in the kitchen. Now look, Inspector, I didn't kill him. Why should I? He was paying off. Nobody kills a guy who pays. Maybe. Maybe not. Outside, Barton, wait there. I'll see you again later. An accommodating ex-convict, to say the least, and willing to talk, willing to talk his head off. The inspector was puzzled. This was not part of the usual pattern. The puzzle seemed deeper when Mitzi Fair told him. Bachelor? No, that's not Davis. Davis was the one on the desk. I watched him play with it lots of times. You're certain of that? I'm sure. Positive. And the puzzle seemed deeper still when George Lyons said. Yeah, I remember now. That nick in the shilling. Hey, Inspector, if Joey had this shilling with him, who put the other one on the desk? Know something, Lyons? The answer to that question could be very interesting. Very interesting indeed. A whole new avenue of inquiry suddenly opened up. Suddenly became possible that Joey Bart had not been the last person to see his brother alive. It's a matter of who is telling the truth about those coins, Sergeant. If Lyons and Bart are, then the girl is lying. If the girl is honest, then Lyons and Bart are both lying. How do we find out, Inspector? We take our time. And we let Joey go. The time being. With a continuous watch on him, of course. Arrange for it, will you, Sergeant? I want a little quiet. I've got some thinking to do. The inspector had his peace and quiet briefly. Shortly thereafter, he adjourned to the padlock nightclub with Sergeant Maxwell and Detective Smith. I saw him to provide wall-to-wall -wall carpeting. I hate tearing up through a board. Well, it helps the soundproofing. How are you coming along with the wall, Smith? Nothing hollow. Soundproof tiling under all the draperies. Hello. Here's something. Back of the couch, Inspector. Bobby Pin. Blonde. The singers are blonde. Too bad she's not the only blonde in London. If she were, we'd have to prove she dropped it after Jerry left this office. Uh, nothing doing on the walls, Inspector. Next. The desk. Take it apart if necessary. Yes, sir. Dave Bart looked too honest, Sergeant. There's a reason for soundproof offices. If there's any record of that reason, it'll be here, someplace. Well, the girl said something about visitors, backdoor visitors. I know she did. Hello. Here's something. Huh, false bottom to this drawer. It measures six inches deep on the outside and only four and a half on the inside. Sliding panel? Probably. 
Sounds hollow enough. Ah, here it is. The bottom slides back when you press this nail head. A couple of letters here. The record book. Good work, Smith. Well, Mr. Bart was methodical. Record of payments to the witnesses who swore his brother into prison. Income from various enterprises. Letters. Well, well, well. Enough there on the girl to keep her working for free the rest of her life. To say the least. Then it's the girl, Inspector. Or Jerry. Or both. Or neither. Lions. There's a great deal on him, too. His 90-day sentence seems to have covered up a small item which could have meant 10 years. Apparently, several people were interested in the sudden death of Mr. Dave Bart. Shut the door, Smith. Leave everything as it was, except for the papers. We'll take those. Ah, and as we leave, Sergeant, suppose you forget to snap the lock in the front door. Understand, Sergeant? Yes, sir. It was neat. Neat and simple. The bait, of course, was the contents of the drawer. Three people were interested in what it contained. Given an open padlock... The opportunity to search the magnet, which is the letters and records in that desk, should draw at least one person back to the room where someone had killed Dave Bart and left a shilling on the desk. The inspector waited. With him, Sergeant Maxwell and Detective Smith, the dozen assorted detectives and constables. They waited in the silent, darkened nightclub behind the door with its open padlock. They waited in the dark hallway near the kitchen, among the piled-up tables and chairs in the main room. They waited in the echoing, empty club. Waited for the sound they knew would come. Sounds which did come when the safety of night shrouded the street outside. The door, Inspector. I heard it, Sergeant. Crouched in the darkness, they heard the footsteps. Light, tentative. Then bolder, more confident, as eyes became accustomed to the gloom. A moment later... Another one, sir. Quiet, sir. The first intruder was aware of the second. More quickly now, the footsteps came into the main room of the club, crossed the dance floor. Suddenly, the second person broke into a run, caught up to the first... Thought you'd come back, eh? Tried to put it on me, did you, with a second shilling? Now, listen, outside the door, didn't you? Back when I came through. Let me, let me oh. All right, Smith, the light. What's all this? Oh. All right, Bart. Miss Brown, we'll take over now. Uh, smart coppers, eh? Sitting in the dark, waiting, eh? Take him over, Sergeant, take him over. I told you once, oh. Inspector, no guns from me. Uh, she's got one, though, in her bag. Try to suck me with it. Well, Miss Brown, why did you plant that second shilling? I knew George was in there. We showed me this crack about the shilling. I went in after George left. I, I wanted my letters. David made me miserable enough with them, and we argued. And he tried to threaten me with his gun. I grabbed for it, and it went off. I thought if there was a shilling, you'd think it was Joey. Yeah, a woman. Every time it's a woman. Never mind, Bart. You can tell that to your friend. Miss Fair, you're taken in charge. And the charge... Is murder. And today, the shilling, which was the main clue in this case, can be seen in an honored position in the Black Museum. Orson Welles will be back with you in just a moment. Now, here in person is Orson Welles. There was no premeditation, that was clear. And certainly there was provocation. Mitzi Fair went away, convicted of manslaughter. Joey Bard eventually reopened the club, which had been his property in the first place. Seems to be going straight. Only time, the careful eye of the Metropolitan Police, will know about that. Meanwhile, the shilling, contributed by Joey Bart, remains in its customary place in Scotland Yard. In the Black Museum. Until next time, we meet in the same place for another story about the Black Museum. I remain, as always, obediently yours.
Black Museum, starring Orson Welles, is presented by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Radio Attraction. The program is written by Ara Marion, with original music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Powers. This is Orson Welles speaking from London. Here in the grim stone structure of the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of souvenirs. A warehouse where everyday objects, a hammer, a suitcase, a shirt button, all are touched by murder. You take this canvas bag. This canvas bag might give us a lead, sir. Uh, what's that writing, Sergeant? It's the name of a local merchant, J. Gregory, Northampton. Well, today that canvas bag can be seen in the Black Museum. <laughs> From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black Museum. Well, here we are in the Black Museum. Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Yes, here lies death. All the ways and means of death. Guns, of course, abound in plenty, but there are other simpler objects, things that were never meant for murder. Now, this gold trophy. A famous sportsman climaxed a great career by winning this. Later, it was an exhibit in his trial. It was proved he had used it to batter a man to death. Here's a knitting needle. Perhaps used to knit for absent friends, for children not yet born. And it was put to more lethal use. To end a life. Ah, here we are. Here's the canvas bag. It was once a bag used to hold provisions in a Northampton grocery store. Later on, it became more famous, but we anticipate. Let's begin the story not with a canvas bag, but with a certain young woman who at her home in Birmingham was packing her suitcases. There's another dress, Mary. Oh, thanks, Mother. And your slippers. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that must be all. Let's just have another ground. You don't want to forget anything. No, that's right. Oh, here you are, just as well I looked. Some stockings. Oh. Well, I, I think that's all. Yes. I'll just lock my suitcase. Mary. What, Mother? Are you sure you'll be all right? No, of course. Oh, it seems such a strange arrangement, you going all the way to London alone. But what's strange about it? Tom's working in London, saving for our passages to Canada. He can't come to fetch me. Travel all that way alone. Oh, Mary, let me come with you. No, Mother. I'm not a child. You're an almost married woman, but that doesn't mean your mother still can't worry about oh, you. Mother, really? Look, I'll be perfectly all right. Tom and I are... Are getting married when I reach London. A month later, we'll be on our way to Canada. And we'll lose you. It's so sad. you write as soon as you reach London, won't you, darling? Yes, of course I will. And don't worry. Please. I'll be all right. A girl leaving home to get married. An anxious mother. Nothing very new about that. Except that the girl never went to London. The following day, her train arrived in Northampton, where she was tenderly greeted by a charming man, some years older than herself. Hello. Hello. Here I am, Mary. 
My dear man. Oh, darling. I've been waiting here for a moment. I thought you... What, that I might have deserted you? <laughs> Hardly, my sweet. Did you have much trouble with your family? Yes, a little. Dad was anxious, and, uh-huh. and you know what Mother is. She worries terribly. <laughs> yes. You, you told them the story about meeting Tom in London. Uh-huh. They believed it. Oh, good. Oh, darling, it's wonderful to be with you. <laughs> um, come, Mary. I, I found lodgings in St. John Street. Oh, good. But listen, since you've told your parents you were meeting Tom Reynolds in London, well, you might as well continue the deception, eh? How? Well, to the landlady, you'll be Mrs. Reynolds. And I, of course, shall be Mr. Reynolds. It might be better if you called me Tom. The landlady found Mr. Samanels a charming couple, so devoted, so very much in love. Good afternoon. I'm Mr. Reynolds. I wrote to you about a room. Oh, yes, Mr. Reynolds. I was expecting you today, just like you said in the letter. (laughs) And this is my wife, Mary. Uh, Pleased to meet you, Mrs. Reynolds. I expect you'd like to see the room right away. Yes, I I would. Well, if you'll just follow me, there's only one flight of stairs. Let me carry the bag, dear. It's too heavy for you. All right. Have you uh, any idea how long you'll be staying, Mr. Reynolds? Well, I can't tell you at the moment. It depends on circumstances, doesn't it, sweetheart? Ah. Yes, dear. Why, it's Mr. Reynolds. I didn't know it was so late. Well, my wife's asleep, Mrs. Marsh. I thought I'd just pop in to tell you that we're leaving next week. Leaving? Uh-huh. Well, isn't that rather unexpected? I was talking to Mrs. Reynolds only yesterday, and she said... Yes, she... but you see, I've had some news from friends of mine in Canada. In Canada? Yes. We're going to Canada, Mrs. March. Oh. We're leaving from Liverpool next week. Oh, that will be nice for you, Mr. Reynolds, and for your sweet wife, too. Yes. Oh, but there is one other thing. Uh-huh. I'd be very glad if you wouldn't say anything of this to my wife... You see, she's not quite sure that she really wants to go to Canada, and, well, I think it'll only upset her if anyone talks to her oh, about it. Oh, of course. I, I, I wouldn't breathe a word, particularly since you've asked me not to. Thank you so much, Mrs. Marsh. We'll be given up our room on Friday. Uh-huh. I'll arrange for a car to call for the luggage early in the day. So considerate, the landlady thought. Such a gentleman. On Friday morning, she said goodbye to the couple with reluctance. She said goodbye to Mr. Reynolds, who explained that his wife had gone ahead to the railway station. But even the nicest of lodgers are only a passing memory in a landlady's mind, and she might never have thought of the young couple again if it hadn't been for the events that occurred some weeks afterwards. On the high road from Rugby to Northampton, two men were walking home after work. Well, Bert, uh, what do you think of the team's chances on Saturday? <laughs> they want to be better than last week, eh, Sam? Yeah, I should say so. <laughs> hey, hey, look down there in the ditch beside the road. What do you see? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, it looks like a canvas bag. Ah, well, there's something inside it. Ah, well, what's that all over it? Alarm, isn't it? Oh, probably a dead dog. Come on, I'll buy you a pint. Yeah, hey. Hey, hey, ain't no dead dog. Bert, look, will you? An arm. I can see it plain. Oh, crikey. Come on, Sam. Huh? This is for the police. The local police recovered the body and Scotland Yard was summoned. Inspector Courtney, accompanied by Detective Sergeant Finlay, arrived in Northampton. They met the doctor who had conducted the post-mortem. The body was that of a woman, Inspector. Have you um, any idea of her age, Doctor? Youngish. I'd say in her twenties. In height, a little over five feet. Slight build. And in uh, what state was the body? Dismembered and partially decomposed. And the uh, cause of death? Have you any idea about that? There's no way of telling, Inspector. The only thing you can take for granted is that she was murdered. The yard men had a dual task there. They had to track down the murderer, but first and foremost, they had to find out who had been murdered. They set out to examine the evidence. This canvas bag might give us a lead, sir. Uh, yes. Uh, now, what's that writing on it, Sergeant? It's the name of a local merchant, J. Gregory, Northampton. Yes, the name's clear enough. Uh, 
Luckily, the lime didn't rot it away. As I'd say it was meant to, sir. Yes, I'd say so too, Sergeant. I think we'll call on Mr. Gregory. Was this a lucky break early in a difficult case? It seemed not. For when the London detectives interviewed J. Gregory in his Northampton warehouse, the merchant could give them little help. Yes, uh, it's my bag, all right, Inspector. No mistaking that, but how did it get in there? Well, we, uh, we thought you might be able to tell us that. Well, I assure you I can't. These canvas bags are used for transporting groceries between this warehouse and my several shops in the town. And they're, what, uh, handled by your employees? Yes. Are they ever given out to the public? Oh, no, they're not. Were you aware that one was missing? Well, <laughs> well, hardly, Inspector. I have upwards of a hundred of these bags and a lot more to do than count them. Yes, yes, of course, yes. But now, you understand the gravity of this situation. Yes. A woman has been found dead. Murdered. Murdered? Her body wrapped in one of your bags. Inspector, I, I can only assure you I know nothing whatever about it. At this stage, Mr. Gregory, not knowing the identity of the murdered woman, the bag is our only clue. Now, you do appreciate that. Yes, yes, of course. Sir, that I'd like to talk to one of your employees who might have handled these bags and who might have been in the position to take one or even give one to somebody else. Inspector, I'll see to it my staff are available for Thanks. As a matter of fact, you can begin with my warehouse manager, my own brother. Oh, yes, thank you, yes. Uh, wait, I I'll get him. George? Huh? George, uh, come here, will you? Presently, the obliging Mr. Gregory returned with his brother, the warehouse manager. He, too, was courteous and polite to the detectives, and only too ready to answer the questions they asked him. Now, uh, where do you live, Mr. Gregory? In Birmingham. Seven High Street, Birmingham. And uh, are you married? Yes. Wife and, and two children. And you live at home? Well, sometimes I stay here at the warehouse. You know, because of the distance involved in travel, you understand? Oh, yes, perfectly, perfectly. Now, tell me, have you ever lent or given anyone outside the firm one of these canvas bags? Well, I don't like to mention it, but... Well, go on, George. Tell the inspector whatever he wants to know. Did you give away one of these bags? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I did, John. I, I know it was against regulations, but, well, a tramp came in one day asking for some scraps of food and... Yes, and, uh... Well, sorry for him, you know. It is. Yes, quite, quite. I gave him a couple of tins and well, a canvas bag to carry them in. Sorry, John, but that was the only occasion I have given one away. Now, could you tell me how long ago would this have been? Oh, I suppose about six weeks, perhaps a bit longer. I'm afraid I can't remember the exact date. Well, thanks very much, Mr. Gregory. I... I... I don't suppose you can help us in this matter of the murdered woman. I mean, you've no idea who it might be. None whatsoever, Inspector. I'm sorry. Well, thank you very much indeed, gentlemen. Good day to you. Good day. The inspector left the warehouse deeply disappointed. It seems that the trail led nowhere. For the inspector believed this story of the tramp that George Gregory had told him. As no, should not have believed it. But today, evidence that proved the lie be seen in the Black Museum. There are hundreds of women reported missing every year throughout England. Now to the local police stations throughout the land, the messages went out in a long and slow search to find the identity of the murdered woman. Desire information on any woman reported missing within past two months. Special attention to young woman about five feet in height of slight build. Well dressed. In answer to your inquiry, we've checked all missing persons approximating to the description given in the Glasgow area during the last two months. There are three missing persons whose descriptions might fit the one given and further investigation is being made in each case. I shall report further within the next seven days. Hello, sir. Uh, this is Scotland Yard. Uh, we've been looking into your inquiry, and we find that in the London area there are 27 cases of missing persons. Uh, that would seem to justify investigation in relation to your inquiry. Uh, from preliminary inquiries, 13 of these cases can already be discounted. On the remainder, uh, further inquiries are still being made. 
Uh, we'll be in touch with you later, sir. Goodbye. Reports came flooding into Scotland Yard. The leads faithfully followed. Dead ends, all of them. The investigation into murder was bogged down because nobody knew who had been murdered. Here's another one, Inspector. People by the name of Wilson in Birmingham. Worried about their daughter. Oh, I never knew there were so many youngsters who run away from home. Well, still, have it checked, Sergeant. Right, sir. Another patient inquiry begins. When did your daughter leave home? Where was she going? Have you heard from her? The questions were asked, the answers were written down, and the result was sent to Scotland Yard. Hmm. Wilson, yes. Uh, number 9, High Street, Birmingham. Left for London to marry a young man named uh, Tom Reynolds. Seems like she didn't get there, sir. Yeah. Family had a letter from Reynolds, just a sort of friendly note, no mention of the girl. I understand young Reynolds went to Canada, sir. He was once engaged to the girl, but they broke it off. Oh, yes. The next thing, when he was in London, the girl had a letter from him asking her to marry him and go out to Canada. Yes, but did the family see the letter? No. It was all pretty hurried. They were upset, but she seemed to be able to get her own way. Oh, I've heard this kind of thing before. Now, I wonder who the man was. Not Tom Reynolds, certain. His letter to the family is enclosed there, sir. Oh, let's see it, Rip. Yes. All right. Now, rough. Crossing, how is everyone? Miss Mill, neighbors? No, 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 he doesn't mention her. Now, what was her name? Mary, sir. Mary Wilson, Nine High Street, Birmingham. Sergeant. Sergeant, that seems familiar. To me too, sir. I can't quite place it, Wait a minute, wait a minute, I've got it. What, Inspector? Uh, George Gregory, that warehouse manager. His address is 7 High Street, Birmingham, number seven. Well, that means he lives next door. Patience had paid off again. Careful and painstaking methods had given them a new lead, or rather, the renewal of an old lead. For the canvas bag had first led them to the Gregory warehouse. The detectives went back to Northampton, back to interview George Gregory. Mary Wilson, Inspector. Well, of course I knew Mary Wilson. Now, uh, tell me, when did you last see her, Mr. Gregory? Time ago. She went to Canada, you know. She, she married a young chap named Reynolds. Yes, but uh, did she marry him? Well, to the best of my knowledge, she did. You said I knew Mary Wilson. Mm-hmm. Why the past tense? I don't know. Well, don't you always use the past tense when you're not likely to see a person again? Oh, you don't think you'll see her again? Well, Inspector... With her married living in Canada, that would hardly be likely, Inspector. George Gregory seemed at ease. His answers rang true. It could be nothing but a strange coincidence. Inspector Courtney gave certain instructions. I want a cable sent to Tom Reynolds in Canada. Find out if he married Mary Wilson or not. The odds are he's still single. Then Courtney went to Birmingham. They talked to Mary's mother. I, uh, I don't want to alarm you, Mrs. Wilson, but I'm from Scotland Yard, and I want to make certain inquiries. Scotland Yard? Oh, my Mary's done nothing wrong, has she? Of course not. No, no. Now, tell me, Mrs. Wilson, do you really think your daughter might have gone to Canada with her young man? Oh, I don't know what to think, sir. I was always puzzled. I mean, I mean, the, the way she seemed to patch things up with Tom. Yes, uh... Uh, did you question that? No, I didn't say much. I was glad, really. About her marrying the young man? Yes. Well, you see, for a while I was worried there was another man she seemed to like. Too much, if you know what I mean. Oh, you uh, disapprove? Oh, Mary was never one to take criticism, but I didn't like it, I can tell you. Was the uh, other man older? He was, old enough to know better. Him with a wife and children of his own. I tell you, I was relieved when I thought Mary was going away to marry Tom Reynolds. Now, there's one more question I must ask you, ma'am. Yes, Inspector? The name of this attentive gentleman. Well, I I don't like to make anything of it in my... Uh, No, but uh, I'd uh, like to know his name. Well, he happens to live next door, and his name is George Gregory. We've had a reply to your Canada cable, sir. Okay, Sergeant, go ahead and read it. Tom Reynolds is living in Ottawa. He's a bachelor. Last time he saw Mary Wilson was in Birmingham, three months ago. 
What a letter from London. There was no letter from London. It was beginning to add up. Point by point, link by link, a chain of circumstantial evidence was being forged. Forged by the patient police. I think he's our man, Sergeant. And imagine it, sir. He's been here under our noses since the very first clue you picked up. Yes, the canvas bag. Let us write to him. But we haven't tied it up yet. What's the next move, sir? Mary Wilson left for London to meet Reynolds. Or oh, so it seems she told her parents. Yes, it seems more than likely, sir, that they came here. They must have lived somewhere, she and the man she met. Now the detectives went through the town, front streets and back streets, fashionable hotels and cheap boarding houses. They went wherever there was a sign, rooms to let. Well? We're from Scotland Yard, ma'am. We're inquiring about a young couple who might have stayed here some, oh, six weeks to two months ago. No, not here. Only take regulars. I'd owe my boarders for the past 12 months. Thank you, ma'am. Sorry to have troubled you. They ran the whole gamut of landladies. The suspicious landladies, the mean, the garrulous landladies, the kind, the generous, the curious. Then in a lodging house in St. John Street, their work paid off. A young couple? Yes, I've had a few. What was their name? We're not sure what name they might have been using. Oh, you mean crooks. Well, let me see. Oh, it couldn't have been that nice young couple, Mr. and Mrs. Reynolds. Now, it What was that name? Reynolds. Uh, Tom Reynolds? Yes, I believe it was. Such a nice man. Oh, and his young wife was named Mary. She was awfully sweet. Mrs. Marsh, can you give me a description of Mary Reynolds? Oh, yes, I think so. Short, uh, about five feet tall, brown mm. hair, rather pretty. Yes. Not much help, I'm afraid. I can't remember any other details. Oh, you helped a lot, thanks, Andy. Man? Tall, dark hair, and a small mole on his left cheek, older than her. Oh, oh but he was very nice indeed. Oh, surely they couldn't have done anything wrong. Uh, uh, Mrs. Marsh, uh, can you, I wonder, attend the police station tomorrow morning at ten? Me? Why, sir? Uh, well, we're having an identification parade at ten sharp. All right, uh, quiet, everyone. Uh, I've got together a group of eight people, Inspector. Uh, thank you, Sergeant. Uh, Mrs. Marsh, I want you to try and identify the man you knew as Tom Reynolds. All right, Inspector, but... Really, I know we and his wife went to Canada. Nevertheless, if you don't mind, just walk slowly down the line and examine each man. Eight men. A couple of detectives, two men taken out of the cells, one recruited off the street, and in the middle of them, a protesting, indignant George Gregory. It's not this man. Nor this. No, not him either. Why, Mr. Reynolds! Gregory, grab him, man! Oh, I got him! There were enough policemen present to overpower the hastily departing Mr. Gregory, who was immediately arrested on a charge of having murdered Mary Wilson. Today, the evidence that brought about his downfall, the canvas bag that first directed police attention to him, occupies a place of honor in the Black Museum. Orson Welles will be back with you in just a moment. George Gregory killed the woman, he said, because she was too much in love with him to let him go, but he couldn't afford the scandal that might arise if he continued his association with her. Not a very nice reason, but then, the reason for murder seldom are. Anyway, George Gregory was tried and convicted and paid for his crime one morning at 8 o'clock. And now, until we meet next time in this same place for another story, I remain, as always, obedient to yours. Mates, I hope you enjoyed both your remastered old-time radio episodes. These were simple, straightforward, and, as usual, a lot of fun to listen to. Now, it's crazy to think that you could have been listening to this. 
All the ways and means of death. Guns, of course, abound in plenty, but there are other simpler objects, things that were never meant for murder. Now, this gold trophy. But thanks to my Patreon supporters, you lovely listeners get to hear this instead. All the ways and means of death. Guns, of course, abound in plenty, but there are other simpler objects, things that were never meant for murder. Now, this gold trophy. I use RX-7 Advance to cut away a lot of spectral noise from the audio so your ears don't bleed whilst listening. Oh, and the pops and clicks? Stripped out and removed altogether, you know, so your eardrums aren't being tap danced on. This quality audio is only made possible thanks to my Patreon supporters whose donations all go right back into the podcast. So I want to say thank you to my Ode Nighty Titan level supporter, Maya, whose support shapes this podcast as it moves forward. Every month, I either save that money for future voice actors, author stories, or accessories to help with the podcast. For example, right now I'm using a fluffy wind-deadening mic muff to cancel out the aircon background, which you can't hear, I hope. And I'm able to experiment with audio accessories like that, and much, much more. Each step improving the quality just that bit more. All thanks to you. You're awesome. And my next set of lovelies, my white tea warlords. Ion Cows and Lee Bauer are the two heavyweights of my supporters. Your support helps me pay for critical components to keep this podcast running. Subscription-based costs and plugins that assist the show's quality, and for that, I'm very, very grateful. Thank you both so much. And of course, my Ogre Enforcers, whose donations feed straight into software, plugins, and more. These lovelies are... Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Tristan Cassidy, Dolphin and Cow, and Michelangelo Yacone. Thank all of you for your amazing support. Really. All of my Patreon supporters are so damn wonderful. And I've been hearing really good feedback on the quality of audio of late. All thanks to you lot, mates. Stick with me Wednesday for something special, just like you, and I can't wait to reveal what I'm doing then. But for now, it'll be my little secret. Take it easy, and as always... Till next week.